Hello and welcome to Talking Flutes Extra. The cheese between the bagel. The cover between the Moyes study. The cadenza within the chaminade. The hinge at the side of the door. Really, just the in-betweeny podcast between the more important Talking Flutes, hosted by Claire Southworth. I'm Jean-Paul Bright. This week, we're looking at some subject ideas which have been sent in by some of our listeners for future podcasts, and also having a chat to the lovely Dr Keith Hanlon of the Flute Examiner website, and also maker, repairer, player, teacher, and apparently, and shh, come a little closer here, a very good cookie maker. And my chit-chat with Keith is coming up soon. Firstly, we've received a direct message on Facebook from a George Lewin, based in Boston, Massachusetts, who says, Hi Talking Flutes, enjoying the weekly podcasts, and I do like the different styles that you and Claire take in your pods. I must add in here that I do prefer Claire's. Well, of course you do. That's a bit of a silly thing. It's Claire Southworth. He goes on to say, however, instead of ringing that guy up in London, how about if you included a joke from me? Well, I don't have a problem with that, George. Let's give it a go. Hello, this is George calling from Boston in the USA. Here's my joke. So why was a famous ex-conductor of the Berlin Philharmonic always off the plane first? Because he only had carry-on luggage. Oh, good grief, George. Can't he do any better than that? Actually, he's got another one here. For all you brass players out there, how do you fix a brass instrument? With a tuba glue. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I quite like that one, George. Very simple. And obviously the easiest ones are the best, certainly for my intelligence level. Thanks, George. As you will know by now, we really enjoy receiving emails. And one that drew my attention was from Lucy Bowden in Cambridge, who says, Dear Talking Flutes Extra, can you do a podcast on the benefits of creative visualisation or self-hypnosis and how it can be useful to musicians, as I believe I came to one of your talks on the subjects many years ago at the Stratford International Flute Summer School. And my friend also heard you doing something similar at the Royal Irish Academy of Music in Dublin a few years ago too. Now that's an interesting email, Lucy. And yes, it probably was me who did the talks. In my spare time many years ago, I trained in London as a clinical hypnotherapist, so I was able to incorporate hypnosis into the toolbox when I work with individual or groups on my pet subject of nerves and anxiety for performers. Let me have a think on that one, as the podcast will have to be structured very differently. So you see, it's not that complicated to do. On the contrary, I believe it would be pretty simple. However, as most of you listen to these podcasts on the go, if I was to do a deep relaxation pod then it could have the potential to create a little havoc out there, especially if some of you fall asleep. Let me have a think, Lucy, and I'll report back to you sometime in the not-too-distant future. Another email received from a David Fettingham from Santa Barbara in sunny California reads, I really enjoyed the last podcast where you included the beautiful Danny Boy recording by William Dowdle in Between the Talking. Do you have any thoughts about making this a regular feature with some of your guests? Well, actually, David, I've received a few more comments back on a similar nature, and I've spoken with Claire, and we will indeed be including more part or full piece recordings from some of our interview guests in the future. 
Just a reminder then that you can email us at Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra on flutepodcasts at gmail.com. Keep those questions and ideas coming because we love them. And moving over to my laptop, I am now joined by Dr. Keith Hanlon from whereabouts, Keith? Cumberland, Maryland, United States. Where is that? Apart from the United States, that is. <laughs> um, western side of Maryland, up in the mountains, D.C. And I'm actually sat on Skype looking at Keith, and it's a very impressive sight in that we have all these awards behind. Probably there's a doctorate probably lurking around on the wall. That's He's pointing up left, far left. And there's lots of other certificates, and there's a mass of music. In fact, that is extremely tidy, Keith. Um, I, I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everything is labelled, too. So. Right, obviously, I've done a bit of research on you. And um, you, you, earned, you earned your doctorate last year, didn't you? I, I did, finished it, finally. And what did you do it in? Uh, flute performance oh, from correct, West yeah. Virginia University. That's a hard one. You haven't gone down the easy route, have you? If there is an easy uh, route in a doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done anything the easy way, so... Oh, wow. What did you do for your um, final the performance? The final recital was, was all piccolo repertoire from the last 12 to 15 years. Sorry, I'm, so, just, I'm in complete silence. Piccolo, pea shooter. Uh, yes, yes, actually, and and uh, to my surprise, the audience actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've heard you on the flute, and you're a brilliant flute player. I've heard you on all those flutes, and you, what made you choose the piccolo? Um, it, it's been a passion of mine. Um, in fourth grade, when they gave us a choice to to learn to pick an instrument, um, <clears throat> the teacher I had had us fill out our top three choices, and believe it or not, my first choice was percussion but with 25 elementary school kids taking percussion she said um there are too many take your second choice and as i think back i remember that the second choice was actually piccolo but i forgot what it was called so i wrote down flute so since fourth grade i've been uh, uh piccolo on the brain are there many people that actually or many flute players that do their doctorate on piccolo performance well, my doctorate is technically flute performance. Okay. I just happened to specialize. My my last recital was was all piccolo, um, and I've I've incorporated uh, piccolo in each of my recitals. But the last one was specifically piccolo focused because my dissertation was on piccolo. Oh, got you. And how long was your recital? Uh, what an hour and fifteen, hour and twenty minutes of Good piccolo. Okay. <laughs> you know exactly what there, I'm going to say. It was then. an intermission. <laughs> And, and, oh, um, a... I, well, congrats. Um, I say congratulations at the time, but correct, congratulations again. I mean, a doctor. Yeah. Well, the first note of my recital was high B flat. The last note was high B natural, and I didn't really get very far. <laughs> so when you're sat on a plane and they say, so is there any doctor on board? <laughs> um, we don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we book a flight from the UK or go anywhere, you get a a chance that there's a drop down tab where you can put your title mm-hmm. mr doctor sir lord do you get this do you get the same option in america uh if 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 so i'm not aware of it because yet i've yet, have yet to uh receive any kind of special award for getting on the plane <laughs> <laughs> keith 
Keith the flute player, Keith the piccolo player. How did the journey begin? And again, why the flute? Well, um, <clears throat> like I said a little bit, uh, my first choice was actually percussion. Um, and boy, did I dodge that bullet. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, my flute was my second choice. Um, I just started playing with a, a bunch of my friends. And, uh, you know, honestly, in elementary school, I was the only boy that played the flute. In junior high, out of 63 flutes, I was the only boy that played the flute. And in high school, I was the only guy that played the flute. So, um, I, you know, it just it, it kept going. Now, ironically, at, at the end of elementary school, I really I, I told my mother that I wanted to stop playing. And she said, you need to finish sixth grade before I transition to the next the next building or the, the middle school or junior high. So I stuck it out through sixth grade, and by then I was hooked. So, and what age did you start it again? Was it eight? Uh, eight years old, around eight. Yeah, it's quite young for a chap, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, the programs in the United States. Some of the schools start fourth grade, some start fifth grade. So that's that's kind of when we start doing band instruments. And when did you know that you wanted to do it for a job, a career, a profession, a life? Do you really want me to answer that? Um, <laughs> and if it's so, clean, Keith. Uh, my senior year of high school, when I was looking into colleges and applying places, I was actually accepted to Penn State University for engineering and chose at the last minute to go to Indiana University of Pennsylvania for music. Well, that is, that is a wide differential from your original plan, isn't it? Oh, but wait, there's more. I started out my freshman year as a bassoon major. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've never heard that one before. Yeah, yeah. Um, made the mistake of uh, I wasn't studying; I was self-taught and um, on flute. And uh, I waited till because it was a wise idea to take all the time to practice and waited till the last audition date. And by the time I auditioned on flute, they had already filled the studio, but they found out from my application that I played the bassoon. And that uh, they had room for a bassoonist, so they took me as a bassoon for a year. Can you still play it? I just played it a couple months back in an orchestra. <laughs> Ooh, we're getting foul looks from the rest of the woodwind section, were you? Um, no, the looks that I was giving them for all the high tenor clef high Gs. Um, yeah, because that doesn't happen anymore. But yeah, so I, I, I can still play a little bit. <laughs> so along the way, you'd have had lots of influences in your life, musical and non-musical. Do you want to share any of those? Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, my mom. Uh, mm -hmm. She kept me playing. She's still my biggest fan. She was at my last doctoral recital. And so that's that's probably the biggest influence. She's a, She's been an organist for many, since she was in, in probably eighth grade. So... Um, we moved. We actually, the church that she started playing for, she actually played for when she was in eighth grade. Crikey. And her grandmother played the same organ. <laughs> so so there's a, a strong family influence there. Um, recently, I, I took on a position um, long term as a middle school band director at Mount Savage Middle School. I promise I'd give them a shout out. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I posted on Facebook about my middle school journeys. You and. Did, um, yeah. My um, my junior high or my middle school band director piped in. And so Tom Kunkel, my middle school band director, was a big influence. 
um, my high school band director and orchestra director, Dave Four and Bill Derimer. And then my two of my college, two of my my really substantially influential teachers, Carl Adams, mm -hmm. as an undergrad, he really he really helped me kind of find my path. And then my master's professor, Francio Ballou, who's a right. yeah. gra grandmotherly type, and um, she just used to hit me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she she literally whipped me into shape. Um, and from that point, um, their strong influences, um, you know, they studied with uh, Baker and Mariano. So, uh, you know, I had some very strong pedagogical influences from the two of them. Uh, it, it So that that would have to be, I mean, that really got me on the path that I'm on now. And you haven't decided to stay on flute performance or music performance because you have this love and passion for teaching, don't you? I I, I do. I, I love to teach. Um, I actually love to repair instruments as well. And I, I kind of like to do a little bit of all of it. Um, going out and doing clinics for Trevor James, yeah. I get to perform and I get to work with a lot of students. The, the last trip out, I think I worked with, I counted about 260 flutists. It was it was great. Uh, one young lady, when um, when I was playing, she just squealed because she was so happy. Like she loved the flute. I think she's fourth or fifth grade. So she was. It, that's seeing that, and then the light bulb go on in a student's eyes when they finally get it. Makes makes the world a better place. So. You're a bit of a polymath, aren't you? You're rather good at many things. I, you know, some will say a, a jack of all trades, master of none. I, I try to keep everything moderately bad all around. <laughs> <laughs> That's like me. I just wing it. I wing everything. Yes. That's just the way. One, one juggle it and keep it from breaking. <laughs> yeah, and one pretends, doesn't one? One pretends with a smile. <laughs> I can make stuff up like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> uh, well, you do yourself a disservice because you're a lovely flute player. and uh, uh, But I also get the fact that you can you can communicate to an audience and if that audience is of the younger variety and can motivate them in music, then what greater pleasure can there be than to encourage and to bring more people into the arts and the love and the life of music? Exactly. Let's talk about how I probably first came to um, meet you was the flute examiner, the project you have. Yes. <laughs> how did it start? Well, uh, my friend Amanda Taylor now, um, Dr. Amanda Hoke, uh, we both did our doctorates and went through the trials and tribulations around the same time. She just recently got married, um, but we met at a, a summer flute retreat. She was uh, bouncing ideas for a newsletter off of me, and I was giving her some feedback, and she said, well, I'd like you to you know, help me with this, and we decided to expand this this pedagogical uh, newsletter to a more web-based side so that we could continually evolve and reach more people. Our first newsletter went out in uh, September of 2015, and we found that our, our readership was growing to about 700 subscribers. And uh, once we kind of hit that, we, we decided we needed to bring on more people. Yeah. So we added uh, Dr. Jessica Dunavant, She's our editor and um, teammate, and so the three of us really, really bounce ideas off of each other and continue to evolve this this newsletter. But one of our goals was to 
keep it modern. Um, you know, not that the printed magazines and newsletters and stuff aren't great because I have a stack of them under my desk, but, but the, you can reach a broader range of people through the web now. And one of our goals was to address issues that, that flutists as, as teachers, students, and performers questions and topics that are of interest to them. But at the same time, we didn't want to, even though we're all doctors, we didn't want that academic verbiage to get in the way, and we tried to keep it very simple as far as like you're having a conversation with somebody, so that it's very approachable, um, and we felt that um, just being ourselves would, would reach more people. And, you know, we're not afraid to talk about those things that come up in a practice session where you you curse and swear and you get stressed out and frustrated and want to throw the instrument across the room. We've all been there. We all experience that. And, and so we, we do really address things on a very personal side when it comes to that. And we've, we've all shared a lot of personal issues that we've all had as well with injuries or just managing stress, balancing multiple jobs, dealing, dealing with teaching, second and secondary careers. And, and we've brought on actually two other people. We have Flutie Hacks person, I Goldsmith, and we have Kelly Wilson is our, our health specialist. And um, their bios and stuff are on the web page. They're, they're great additions in, uh, to the newsletter and add a lot as contributors. I will so. say, when you actually go onto your website, it's extremely well written. Every article, it is, you've managed to create, you're, in your writing, you've managed to be able to reach the young to those that like complicated, but using a verbiage that is accessible to all. In other words, you haven't overcomplicated it. So it doesn't matter what age you are, you can read every article. Well, that's great because that was one of our goals. So thank you. Well, that's an art in itself, isn't it? Yeah. Something I certainly can't do. Yeah. Well, and, and, and kudos to, to our editor, Jessica. She keeps us grammatically correct. Oh, crikey. It <laughs> yeah. gets the apostrophe in the right place. Most definitely and then some. So <laughs> she's, she's been a great addition. So how can you see it developing further? Um, well, there, we, we clearly have a plan. We're, we're, we're plotting out some of our future goals. So some of that I can't tell you about just yet because we're, we're, we're working mm -hmm. on it, you know, secret stuff sure. but uh but uh we have we have a plan for growth we have some new and and wider variety of items that we're planning to bring to the table and we do ask our readers to give us feedback and and some of the feedback that we've received we're starting to implement as we move forward so that we continually evolve to what our readers want and need you know we do recycle some of our articles that have been very popular mm -hmm. we we do track that which articles get them the most read time. And so when those articles are highly read, we do bring them back when it's necessary. And we, we list them as you know, revisiting this article because it was very popular. But we are a free newsletter. So member or subscriptions, they don't cost anything. This is something we're doing as, as a, a public service as teachers for other players and other teachers. And, and a lot of our interviews and, and I mean, people have just been so willing to submit to questioning um <laughs> it's you know it's been great and they the people who have written for us uh, we appreciate everything that they've they've added well i'm obviously going to add links into the podcast in our podcast description to the flute examiner but can you tell people on the audio 
If it, honestly, if you just Google the flute examiner, it will pop right up. And it sure does. In fact, it, it, it does. It, it, and also on social media, it just sort of pops up everywhere, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, that that was our plan. We were hoping to to get widespread coverage, and yeah, it just the easiest thing to do is go to Google and type in the Flute Examiner. And I can't endorse this website and the newsletters enough. They're apolitical, so they're not brand led. They also cover all areas of playing, teaching, and the good side as well as the bad side. And there's always bad sides, and the bad side, as Keith has already mentioned it's the stress the worry with practice with study and also the fact that they can say look it's okay it's okay yeah. to feel like that yes and and we we know that that um repetitive motion injuries and and playing related injuries or just somebody's had a car accident there's an injury that's involved in interfering with their playing that's one of the reasons we brought kelly on because she specializes in in, in dealing with and working with that type of stuff and so we have our professional resources, and and when we need to resource or, or outsource topics that we aren't qualified to cover, we have resources for those. So we're we're ever expanding and evolving. So we welcome readers to to comment and give us feedback, so we can keep up with what they need. Right, going back to something you touched on to start with, you could have gone on to university to do engineering. Yes. But instead, you decided to do music. Now, you have also linked in here that you have a love for repairing and messing around. So I know you have a love for wood <laughs> and with old flutes and piccolos. So where did that actually start from? Did it start from your wanting to know how things worked? Um. Well, first off, don't tell my mother this, but <laughs> when I was in about ninth grade... I sat on my bed and took my flute completely apart and Ooh. somehow managed to get it back together and it still played. I, I don't even know where that came from. I just got a wild hair and I had a screwdriver. So it, it just kind of, it made sense to me. And as, for as long as I rem can remember going back, uh, I remember going to the library and somehow finding a section in our library in my hometown that had three or four instrument how instruments are made instrument repair manual type things oh well wow. and um i just i probably am the only person that ever checked those books out <laughs> um <laughs> to be honest because i think i took them out multiple times and that that led me on to if you look over here i have quite a few books and on a shelf down here of history of the flute and i just found myself always staring at the the pictures of the simple systems and alternate systems and it, it just it really i don't know i was just always very very interested in in them and how they worked and now i've never really been scared to to take a key off an instrument it just seems very natural to me but so, i know when i hear you in dialogue with our technical director david that you just go off on one on a, in a language I don't really understand. You're talking about angles, cuts, simple systems, mm. and wouldn't it be nice if they bought this back from... And I know you both have pa uh, passion for the old Rudelkart flutes. I, I, I do. I actually have a, a G treble. G treble? A G treble flute that um, I just got recently. What do you recently. use that for? <laughs> um, it, it was... <laughs> um, well, David and I had a long discussion about that on Facebook. Um but uh, but it, it's just an octave higher than the alto flute. Yeah. Um, you know, in in Ireland, the the flute orchestras are are huge, um, but in the United States, not so much. Although 
the E flat flute and the G flute are the treble flutes are starting to make make their way into the United States. More and more people are starting to take an interest. Really? So with the addition of contrabass flutes more prevalently to the, the flute choirs, I think we're going to start to see the expansion of the flute choirs into those more odd instruments like they are other places. So that would be fantastic because <laughs> it give additional tonal spectrums within the flute choir than That's just the, the current. between a flute choir and a flute orchestra when when you have a the 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 expansive range of a flute orchestra it does change the the, the timbre of the sound um because i do agree i mean i love flute choir music but it can get a little monotonous if it's not creatively orchestrated there's there's only so much flute sound that you can deal with before you need a french horn or a drum so yeah i agree with that so when i work with flute choirs i've always made it a point to program changing literature so that nothing gets too fluty you ever heard of piccolo choir i, I actually have played oh. in an octet <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I, I was expecting you to say no no i've actually played in an in a piccolo octet and the first thing that somebody asks is what are you guys going to do tune um <laughs> and but it was actually a beautiful piece uh written by melvin lauf and he's going to okay. read they're going to reperform it in uh, sometime this summer. I'd have to look at the dates, but somewhere near Virginia Beach. There's just your days are really full, aren't they? It's in your brain is going off in various different directions, from teaching to playing to messing around with old stuff. Do you have a, a Keith time? Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I get home and um, I spend time with my husband and our dog and. Yeah. Uh, um, and sometimes that, depending on the day and how many repairs I've got scheduled and how many performances and lessons, sometimes that time is more limited than, than I would like. Um, but we do find time to have date night or go out to dinner and watch a movie or just be slouches and sit on the couch, you know, so. Do you know, I can't imagine you ever doing that. It, it's hard to turn the brain off because the list of all the stuff that I need to do keeps spinning. Um, but, but we have been, actually, we both have made it a point to set the cell phones out of reach or not, not touch them, or I'd be forever answering emails and on there, there are nights when we're just like, let's put them away. Do you know, that's fabulous. I can learn from you. Good, sir. <laughs> so I've got some quick fire questions. Sure. What's the one piece of advice that you'd give the 16 year old you today? Um, I, you know, I would say, and, and this goes for everybody, don't be afraid to make mistakes because the mistakes are part of the learning process. And I think we are, I mean, especially me being obsessive compulsive, I, OCD, I, I, I like to get things the first time. I don't like to not understand it. And I think that, um, you know, the, the mistakes are just as important as, as the final product because every mistake that you make, you can learn something. And it may not pertain to specifically what you're doing at that time but at some point that mistake is gonna rear its head and go you're, you're it's gonna make sense to you why you made that mistake that's really interesting so you're actually flipping it and saying making a mistake can actually enrich your life because it's a learning experience it is it, it really is you know whether it's a you know a choice of a fingering that you're using in a passage that works or doesn't work in the process of making the mistakes and, and hacking through that 
you may discover a fingering that down the line works much better for you for something else. And that's just, you know, one example. But, you know, in general, the mistakes, they, they really, they, you can use them as a resource to move forward, I think. So mistakes are important. But I do think we get too uptight about making mistakes. That's society, isn't it? It, it is. It is. So and I, I drive for perfection that doesn't exist. Right. And I see too many, too many young students that honestly, when they make a mistake, they just don't want to play anymore. So they just stop practicing. And, you know, I have to work them through that, whether it's cracking a whip and saying, do it again, do it again, do it again, or just saying, you know, it's okay. I'm, I'm not going to yell at you for a mistake. As long as you, you know, it's wrong, we'll fix it. So make a mistake with all the passion you can. We can't fix the passion, but we can fix the note. And do you think your 16-year-old you would have listened to that advice? Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly, thank you. 42-year-old me doesn't like to listen to that advice, but I do have to stop myself and say, knock it off. So, yeah. Keith, what's your favorite genre of music? This may be a little surprising, um, but I absolutely love Broadway and college acapella music. Oh, wow. I, I would say more music from the Broadway and acapella genre have brought me to tears than any flute music that I've ever heard. There's something about the the raw power of the human voice. Yeah. And and I, I really appreciate the technique that goes into opera, don't get me wrong, but the Broadway and acapella music really speaks to me because you get this full-sounding, powerful chord. It's just, it's very moving. And I think that, you know, I take a very vocal approach to how I play the flute. And so all the the vowel formations, all of all of that, the breathing, the flute is such a vocal instrument that I think listening to vocalists perform and how they phrase and shape phrases, and just sometimes in, in the case of, of Broadway, the raw power and emotion that they put through, it it, it translates so well over to the flute that I, it's yeah I've I can I have I've never gone to a Broadway show and not cried. The part that gets me most is when the the full full ensemble is just belting something, just the power. So it's the purity of the voice as an instrument, rather than the an instrument which is, they can almost say a man made construct, isn't it? It's something that we it, put it together. Is, and I, I think there's a certain exposure as a vocalist that they have. You know, we can kind of hide behind the flute if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Just yes. like hiding behind a microphone. Yeah. You know, there's there's this thing between you and the audience. But when you're dealing with with this raw, unaccompanied acapella music, where it's all voice, all vocal, or even Broadway with that orchestra, but you've got this person not holding a microphone, just it, they're it, they're exposed, and it just it's so so passionate. All right, let's take you back to flute. What's your favorite flute piece? Um, I'm, it's kind of torn again, you know, I, because I, I have a lot of pieces for piccolo and flute that I, I like. Um, you know, I, some people, for piccolo at least, the Lieberman Concerto has been performed so much. And so it, for some some players, it's become kind of a, you know, it, everybody's done it type of piece. But, you know, I, I, I have a, I, I communicate with Lowell from time to time. Like I've, I've, I've talked to him before and I love his dry sense of humor. So when you get to that final movement and he's got all sorts of little <laughs> snippets in there, the whole time I'm playing it, I'm kind of giggling on the inside because he's just written this beautiful prelude to a comedy act. Yeah. And it's it's just, I think it's a great piece of music. It's really challenging. 
It really shows off the player. And then that last movement is just fast and fun. And you can really ham it up and, and really enjoy it. But also Derek Charkey's Lacrimose is, is an unaccompanied extended technique piece for Piccolo, which I think just blew me away because it's got such beauty. And when I actually played it on my final recital, I, I thought extended technique on Piccolo, I like it. We'll see how the, believe it or not, it was the audience's favorite piece. Well, they just had no idea that Piccolo was so capable of so many colors and, um, and, and I, yeah, I, I was really shocked that, you know, the general audience, that was their favorite piece of the entire recital. But as far as flute goes, you know, I, I think uh, I love Ian Clark's works. They, he really has a way of bringing a vocal quality to them. And, um, and some of them are so passionate and so much um, angst and, and sadness and then joy. He really brings those into the piece, the, the works that he's written. Not to mention humor and some weirdness when you're hatching aliens. But, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I would say, you know, Ian, Ian stuff, I, of all the composers I know, I probably love the majority of his stuff consistently. And I think that would probably be echoed by many people because we, all love, it. we all love Ian's music. Well, and he's just a great guy too. So that's you know beside the point. But yeah, don't you hate him? He's not only a brilliant yeah, player; he's a great guy and tall, good-looking, talented. His blah. wife is amazing. You yeah, know, you, you, yeah. Okay, we'll stop talking about him. Yeah, um, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, and and but then there's also the Sankansonatine that's just so much color, so much vibrance. I, you know, so I have my favorite pieces. What are your plans for the future, Keith? Um, well, right now I'm on the verge of some job offers. Can't say much about that right now, but it all will be revealed in time. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next chapter. I will be performing. I will continue repair work. I will comp continue teaching. So, you know, just moving forward, I've, I've got some great opportunities ahead and doing more of what I love and getting paid for it. You cannot ask for any more, can you? No, no, I really, really can't. Uh, it, it's the offers that I have in front of me really are just great opportunities. So are you going to trust your gut or your head on this one? Um, I'm going with my gut. You know, yeah, the, I knew you'd say that. The decisions that I have to make, are some of them are really tough right now. But I think long term, they're the best choices. And I think the best for everybody involved. So, And that's, um, that's probably goes for every musician trust your guts because yeah. it's your your gut and your heart that actually makes the music rather than what's going on upstairs isn't it yeah well looking at looking at the options i have you know you know me i make my list the pros and the cons and then when that doesn't i have to go with the gut so you know i have to calm my brain over the decision and then just go with it best of luck with whatever it is that you decide keith <laughs> right before we disappear give me one quick practice tip for our listeners i would say there, there are two that I'll keep short. One, take it slow and steady. Don't try to rush to the end of the piece and work your way through it. Take your time working through the problems. Practice and work on the parts that you hate the most because that'll make the parts you like more fun. And then just listen. Listen to everything. I mean, maybe you, you don't like the banjo, but the articulation of how the band, the banjo it speaks, it, it can translate to the flute. So listen to all types of music, because even if you don't like it, there's something you can get out of it. Dr. Keith Hanlon, thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you. You're at the NFA, aren't you? 
I will be. So, guys, you're going to have to hunt us out because Keith's there. In fact, everybody's there. We look forward yeah. to seeing you. And, Keith, thank you for your time this afternoon or this morning in the US. Yeah. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Very soon. Take care, my friend. Thank you. You as well. So, as we draw to the end of this Talking Flutes Extra podcast concerti this week, thank you once again for listening, contributing with your feedback and comments, and please remember to subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating as it's only by doing this that we can be found by more and more flute players around the world. We are played out, as usual this week, from a track called Celebration, from a tribute to Dave Valentine, by the wonderful Jose Valentino. This track can be found on CD Baby and iTunes. Next week on Talking Flutes, Claire will be speaking to the maverick of the flute and music world, Dave Heath. And believe me, this promises to be a really interesting chat, which I'm so looking forward to hearing. So until then, thanks for joining us. Have a great Flutey Tooty week ahead. And I look forward to welcoming you back to Talking Flutes again soon. Goodbye. Extra is a podcast production for Trevor James Flutes. More details can be found at trevorjamesflutes.com.